You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. My wife started a nonprofit recently. Uh, she actually, so she'll be following the, the postcard here soon. Sure. Yep. I saw that. What's, her, yeah. what's the uh, mission? Uh, it's Todd Pod Playgroup. And their mission is to uh, connect families. Social connection. Like play dates and stuff like that? And play dates. Sure. Play, yeah. It's actually yep. based off of, uh, she's trying to work off of a model that's um, from Australia. So she's been in a lot of contact with the um, organizers for this uh, significant nonprofit in Australia because there's nothing like it in the U.S. that she's found. Sure. So she's trying to do it at a local scale in Bloomington and then maybe potentially it. take it statewide and then... Could go national someday. <laughs> Actually, my wife used to be involved with. I don't know if they're still a thing. The Twin Cities Moms Blog. Um, they were a big like social network or something. But anyway, she was part of like community groups, are trying to do the same thing, set up communities with moms that could go to these playdates or whatever. But that was several years ago. I'm not sure if they're still active anymore sure, or not. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> That doesn't extend down to Northfield? No. No. <laughs> Just Twin Cities. <laughs> no, she's doing that all over again down in Northfield. So. Yeah. Welcome. Greetings to all. Thanks again for joining us for our eighth episode on Olson Thielen's Q&A Over Coffee podcast. I'm Daniel Owens from Olson Thielen. Serving as the host today, joined by our resident comedian co-host, Adam Hennen. Thank you, everybody. Uh, our special guest today is a director in our tax department. His name is Ryan Vetris. And I think I'm um, going to allow Ryan to introduce himself. I think my first fundamental question of Ryan is how Ryan got involved in our exempt organization practice, because today we're focusing on the uh, Form 990. Ryan, how did you get into this specialized area? <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I've been at Olson Thielen here for about 15 years. Um, And when uh, you start out as a tax intern, you're kind of thrown everything, um, every type of tax. Um, As I moved into my first couple years here, uh, we were able to kind of diversify into areas that we liked. Um, I got involved in the nonprofit area um, pretty quickly. Actually, probably after only about a year or so, I started working on nonprofit returns with with the principal in charge at that point. And uh, 14 years later, I'm now kind of the leader of that department with the uh, with the principal retiring recently. So, been in there for 14 years now. So, well, awesome. It's just. Each of us kind of ends up in our own little path. I mean, you know, accounting is a big profession, but there's a lot of specialties within it. So, for sure. Um, just approximately how many returns is, does Olson Thielen prepare each year in the exempt organization space? Yeah, yeah. So it varies every year. Um, obviously, we, we acquire new clients, other clients um, leave the firm, but um, I think we're generally around the 175 um, ish area. So, uh, as we'll get into with this podcast, there's many different types of returns that are filed. So um, kind of hard to track exactly how many we've done, but um, but yeah, probably in the 175 okay. range or so. So, uh, Could you elaborate on kind of the types of nonprofits we're often, or the, you know, whether they're 501c3 or the other designations that are out there? Um, 
Yep. Yep. So, uh, the, the biggest one, obviously 501c3, uh, we work with those. Those are going to be your charitable organizations. Um, other ones that we see a lot are 501c6 organizations or your membership associations. Um, you see a lot of those with the large medical groups in the state, um, dental groups, um, that we work with. Uh, and obviously there's some very, uh, uh, many other types of organizations that we don't see a lot of them necessarily, but, um, they're out there um, from your political action committees, um, your social social groups, 501c4s, um, 527s, I should have mentioned for the political action committees. So uh, there's there's lots of different areas in, in the tax exempt code of the IRS, um, but really the main, one, the main ones that we deal with are 501c3s and 501c6 organizations. Uh, being tax exempt is uh, certainly a, a privilege, um, you know, in order to do your operations without paying um, a corporate income tax. Granted, some nonprofits still have to pay unrelated business income tax, yep. but certainly that that is a unique you know unique advantage. I mean, it, it's a this wonderful exemption for them. Yep. Um, can you just describe you know the kind of the philosophy regarding that and the the responsibility that for for having that privilege of being tax exempt? Well, what that kind of entails in terms of how this reporting is quite a bit different than you know a traditional tax return. Yeah. So, I mean, really just from the, the tax return itself, it's not an income tax return. It's an informational return. So, I mean, that's truly what the IRS calls it. Um, yes, there's a lot of numbers on the return, um, but really it's it's a return that's filed each year to, to keep the organization tax exempt, to prove to the IRS that the organization truly is following its mission, following what it's what it's meant to do to, to be a tax exempt organization. So, yeah, really every year that, that, that 990 tax return filing is important just to, to make sure that the, the IRS continues to show or to show the IRS that they're continually compliant each year with their program and mission and all that kind of stuff too. That, you know, they're not a for-profit corporation. They don't have to pay tax on their profits that they make. They're actually truly serving the, um, the group that they're working with, the community, the, the association membership that they're working with. I always like to think of it as a, it's a an accountability method, right, for the, the organizations, so that they're held accountable to their donors, so they they're doing what they say they're doing. Yep. You know, with the people that are giving them their money. For sure. Yeah, and especially with a five hundred one c three organization, if they fail to be tax exempt anymore, those donors uh, are not getting the advantage of having charitable contributions for for the donations that they're giving in as well. So. Yeah, I I work in the nonprofit space quite a bit, and certainly. Um, you can do a lot of research on the Form 990, and what's interesting, and I think a lot of the public knows, but not all the public knows, is that these returns, are, you can you can search uh, for them online and find them. Uh, one of my common websites I use is uh, guidestar.org. I've got an account with them and can uh, do all sorts of kind of research on, on the Form 990 yep. and get information about organizations. Uh, can you just talk a little bit more about how those how those re- returns are uploaded and how those are obtained and and, um, you know, some of the types of public information that's interesting that someone might might find out there. Yeah. So uh, a, a 990 is truly a public form. Most parts of the form are, are available to the public. Um, they can be looked up either through, like you mentioned, GuideStar. Um, there's several other websites. Um, for the most part, I'm using GuideStar to, to find those those forms. But it's actually really helpful on our side of things. We can kind of gauge um, what type of organization they are, um, if they're reaching out to us for, to help um, with tax prep, audit work, all that kind of stuff, too. It gives us kind of a background to, to get involved with them. Um, but truly, they are available for the public as well. So uh, they can be used for anything. Um, potential donors like to look at 990s to see what the organization's about. Um, 
how are they spending their money? Um, you can see that there's, uh, I don't know how detailed we're going to get into the 990 itself, but there's a breakdown of what they're spending as far as program expenses, management expenses, all that kind of stuff too. So, um, yeah, it's, that's why I, I always like to, whenever we do board pre presentations is to reach out and say, this is a public document. You want to make sure that you're presenting everything accurately to the public on this one, because, you know, anyone can look at this and, and, and learn about your organization. So it can go both ways. That's, you know, you want to put put the organization out there to, to bring in potential donors, but you also want to make sure you're accurate. So if you do have any potential competition, um, that they they can certainly find that in, in your public forum 990. And certainly in the nonprofit sector, I mean, it is a valuable benchmarking tool. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, especially <laughs> when it comes to uh, how you're doing in your programmatic band or executive compensation, what where you might end up. So just a little little funny story. So. Um, being charitably bent, uh, there's a number of organizations that I've supported over the years. And um, what became a little bit challenging is that those organizations sometimes sell your name um, on some random mailing list. And so, of course, I might give to organization X, but all of a sudden organizations Y, Z, et cetera, might have you know similar kind of mission. And all of a sudden, I find myself on their mailing list. And I get home, and all, there's all just sorts of junk mails pulling up, and a lot of it's solicitations uh, from these organizations. I have no no idea how they got me. So I spend a certain amount of time each month um, on websites emailing or calling uh, organizations to remove myself from their mailing list. <laughs> That's a little frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever done something similar? No. <laughs> I was going to say, the funny thing about that is when you start talking about that, I start thinking about unrelated business income within their tax return. So that's completely off the topic there. But um, when, when they're talking about generating additional income from selling their mailing list to other organizations. So, yeah. And part of me geeks <laughs> out. So I'll look at some of these organizations and then I'll see that they are just, you know, I'm getting these big fat mailers with all sorts of little freebies and, uh, you know, might be coasters and might be bookmarks. Might be some stickers that my daughter's gonna put on everything, and then I find out that they're just doing a ton of fundraising. I'm like, no wonder. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Mm -hmm. So those organizations typically don't get my money. <laughs> <laughs> they must get it from somewhere, though. They do. They do. So, uh, can you talk a little bit just about the timing of the 990? I, th you know, also every tax return has a different deadline. It seems so. Just talk a little bit about when those are due and any potential extensions that you can get. Yep. Yeah, so the simple answer is four and a half months after year end. So um, when we're talking about a calendar year end, December 31st, um, the due date for the for the tax return would be May 15th um, or whatever actual business day it lands on around May 15th. Uh, there is an extension available for them, six month extension. So that would push it all the way out to 11, um, November 15th for those. And uh, we deal with all sorts of year end. So it really doesn't matter what your year end is. It's always going to be that four and a half months after um, after your fiscal year end is. So we have pretty much every month of the year, um, seems like we're running into some, some organization's due date when it comes to getting filed. Before I get uh, back into Adam and, and the fun you know questions he's going to ask, because he's always got a curveball. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the misconception with the extension. Uh, a lot of clients... Uh, or prospects, they don't, they don't, they seem really scared about doing an extension that they don't want to do it, that they want to get it, you know, filed on time for the first deadline, so to speak, because uh, they're worried there's going to be extra fees or additional cost or a fine. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, the relatively routine nature of the extension process? Yeah. Yeah. So the extension process for a, for a 990 is 
very straightforward. Really, it's just a filing with the IRS. If, if there is any sort of tax involved, we'll talk about some other forms, 990Ts, unrelated business income tax. There would be some pay, payments due um, at that time, like a normal tax return would. But as far as actual 990 goes, very easy to file. Well, really, it only takes minutes to do um, if you have the software to do it. Um, as far as what the IRS thinks about extensions, I've never seen anything that would indicate that it puts some sort of red flag up. Really, it's if I were the IRS, I would think, well, they needed additional time to gather all the information they needed to file the form correctly. I don't want to rush through and get a return filed right at the deadline just because that's when the due date is um, if, if we're not filing an accurate return. So I have no problem filing extensions. I've never seen any issues with an IRS agent or anything saying, well, why did you file an extension? So I think it's really the best practice if you've got the time and you've got you know some additional time that you can really file a complete return. That's probably the best option for an organization. It's yeah. wonderful advice, Ryan. Appreciate it. Well, a lot of organizations too, you know, they're staffed with volunteers and so they require volunteers to help with gathering some of that information. And it's just, yep. you know, it's different than having paid employees where you can set these tasks out and say, we need this information by, you know, May 15th or before that to file our return. So yep. I think, you know, a big part of that extension process too relates to the organizations that rely heavily on volunteers to help gather, yep. you know, financial and non-financial information, all of which goes into that 990 form. For sure. There's a lot of organizations too that require board approval and the board may not meet until once a year, twice a year, quarterly. And that may fall in and around due dates, after due dates, all that kind of stuff too. So really there's no, no problem filing extensions when it comes to getting the organization done. And there's a question on there regarding the, uh, whether the board of directors was provided the uh, 990 prior to, prior to filing. So. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the uh, unrelated business income uh, tax and types of activities that might generate that? Yep. Yeah, so unrelated business income is really just what it sounds like. It's something that's um, generating revenue within the organization that's unrelated to their actual mission. Um, oftentimes, um, what we see for unrelated income would be advertising. Uh, that's kind of the biggest one that we'll see. So a, a lot of organizations have uh, a periodical, a magazine, online. Uh, they have a website. Anytime you're doing advertising in those spaces, you're going to generate um, unrelated business income. Uh, oftentimes organizations will come to me and say, well, you know, we're, we're advertising, you know, people that are involved around our organization or, you know, vendors or, you know, that type of thing. There's somehow that they think is related, but really ultimately um, advertising, unless you're specifically an organization that's helping students learn how to be advertisers, <laughs> advertising is going to be like the, the main form of, of unrelated business income that we see. So. Um, outside of that, um, the, the, some other areas that we see is rental income. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other specific ones that we got, but um, really it's just going to be anything that's unrelated to your program um, mission um, in, in, in those revenue streams that are coming in. They, we really need to monitor those each year to make sure that they are would be considered either or related or unrelated to the organization. Can you, um, on the topic of unrelated business income, separate the concept of advertising and sponsorship mm -hmm. yeah so um it's a, it's a there's a line there you got to learn how to not cross the line i guess um sponsorship is um you know an organization is going to give money to um to 
I think I should say an outside organization is going to give money into your charity, your, your tax exempt organization, um, without any sort of thought of return. So when you think about advertising, you're getting some sort of return. You're, you're advertising a product line. You're advertising the business specifically, the services they offer. But um, so, so when, in that case, that would be an advertising. It would be charitable or it would be uh, taxable to the um, tax-exempt organization. It would be considered advertising, you know, for the, for the outside organization. But really when there's no um, uh, expectation of return by that organization, you can call that sponsorship activity, um, which then is not considered an unrelated business activity. So I was really wordy to say (laughs) that there's a line there that you really try not to cross, you know, so really pretty light gray line too. I mean, considering most sponsorships are recognized on some sort of a billboard or or poster board, right? Uh, When you go into these events that you're sponsoring. And so there's a, there's an advertising element, right? There is, yeah. But not necessarily expected by the person. Exactly. Doing the so yeah, you, uh, there are specific some language in there. You know, banners. Can you have a banner that shows the name of the organization? But really, can you click through and can you, you know, is it really specifically advertising a product of theirs or a service of theirs? So yeah, there, there's a line there, but um, yeah, something we'd probably have to talk through. And, that, and maybe that's the line, right? Um, where it's recognition versus promotion promotion you know yep or even from the sponsorship um expecting some sort of return if they're expecting a return they can think of it you know that's advertising you're expecting to get something out of what you're putting into this organization if you're sponsoring something you're not really expecting to get anything back you just are sponsoring that activity you're sponsoring that event you're saying this you know i endorse this event you know i'm not expecting to get new clients out of it or or new business out of it so probably for the listeners if, if you are you know have a publication you are probably going to need to pay a little bit more attention and work on calculations that you can justify the, the portion that is taxable versus non, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. It, and, and really, I guess you're going to want to track it. That's the biggest thing. It's um, having accounting that you can track the expenses going into it, the the revenue that's going into it, and, and all that kind of stuff too. Because then it makes it easy to, to really determine how much of it truly is taxable. And you're not just putting it all into one big pool and we somehow have to back into to figure out what what's the non-taxable portion, what's the taxable portion. It's kind of interesting that this relatively small area in terms of publication revenue gets picked on so much compared to the other revenue streams that are could potentially always be tax exempt. It's it's kind of interesting that the IRS hasn't really devoted more attention or opinion to the exempt organization practice as a whole in terms of what's taxable, what's not. What are your what are your thoughts or have you heard anything from Washington or any potential changes coming down the road or, or has it been pretty quiet? It's been pretty quiet. Um, I, I have to think maybe for the most part, organizations now just kind of know what is unrelated and they know, um, you know, advertising is going to be taxable and, and the certain areas are going to be taxable. Um, there have been a few changes within the past few years. Um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, changed some areas of how it's all calculated and everything, but really there, there's not many organizations that really have to deal with that level of complexity, at least the ones that we deal with. Obviously, there's very large organizations that are going to deal with with all that kind of stuff too. But, um, but yeah, overall, the, the tax, not, not many changes coming down the line, I guess, as far as tax goes for unrelated business income. Yeah, and prior to that tax cuts and job deck, the last really significant change in 990 was what, 2008 or 2009 when the form was redesigned? Yep, yep. They re- There's a full redesign. So <laughs> I really started working on them in 2009. Uh, so I was kind of lucky I didn't have to be part of that um, 
I guess in, in total changeover in, in in the form and its in its uh, preparation and everything too. But yeah, they completely redesigned the form to be a little, hopefully, a little more user friendly. It still is a pain to get through the whole thing, um, but uh, they, they made it a little more straightforward, I guess, as far as the, the the layout of the actual form and all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, that was a big deal. That was I just remember a lot to talk about that, but. Um... Yeah, it has been kind of quiet. I mean, there was the there was some scandals on under the uh, was it Lois Lerner, I think was the name under the Obama administration, but it's been fairly fairly quiet since then. Just uh, kind of back to the you know um, the preparation of 990. There's a lot of volunteers that get involved in this um, uh, volunteer prep. Uh, there's probably a significant difference probably in the quality between a uh, professionally prepared 990 versus a volunteer. Uh, can you just tell us kind of kind kind of the types of things that you see or mistakes or just kind of interesting things that you come across um, when you're taking on a, a, a new client in the space that maybe was using a smaller firm or maybe they were doing it on their own previously? Yeah, yeah. So I think the biggest area of that we see is just not knowing what kind of organization you are and then what what you need to file because of that so uh, we talked about the different types of uh, uh, nonprofits um, are you a 501c3 or a 501c6 it seems pretty basic but sometimes you don't necessarily know and, and those actually have different different filings that go with them when when that comes to that so um, th- that's a big area then knowing your due dates we talked about the extensions we talked about the actual initial due dates um, oftentimes when there's either changeover in management or even just volunteers that change over year over year they don't necessarily know when those due dates come and then they run into problems when they forget to file extensions or forget to file returns in general um, that's that's when that's usually when we get involved to, to help out get everything back in line again too but um, those are kind of the biggest areas that we see obviously you can go into all sorts of detail when it comes to when, when an organization's bigger um, you're going to find something that um, that really only a, a CPA that does 990s is really going to f- know those rules. The IRS likes to be really complex with with what they require for some certain schedules and whatnot. But that that really is dependent on the size of the organization. So, how often in your career have you got the nasty gram from the IRS in terms of the uh, not not the missing extension letter or something like that, but like you know we're you know the audit letter that this organization has been selected for IRS audit. You know what? I've been lucky. I have not had to deal with like a specific audit. Um, actually, it's just been a couple of years now since we've had to deal with that. But the, really, the the audits that have come in have been on unrelated business income tax. That's the, obviously the biggest area because that's where the IRS can generate their their tax dollars from. So outside of of those, it's always been just the hey, you forgot to file an extension if we're picking up a new client and, and they forgot to file their extension and we're already past the due date or um, you know that type of thing. And, and, and those those IRS, IRS letters are a pain um, and they're often shocking for, for, the, for the organization because they can have penalty numbers on there that are kind of crazy sometimes. But a lot of times we're able to, you know, kind of work through the situation, sending letters to the IRS and, and kind of work through those and, and hopefully get some of those things abated. And, and But they're oftentimes kind of shocking because of the, the daily penalties that are involved with, with late filing. So they're very severe and they accumulate very quickly. They, they do. Yeah. I mean, you're talking even for small organizations, 20 bucks a day. Um, and if they're pretty small and all of a sudden you get a $2,000 penalty notice from the IRS, it's pretty shocking. But we see it often enough and, and have had enough success in writing letters to the IRS explaining the situation. They're, they're really usually pretty pretty good about abating some of those penalties within reason form. 
Ryan, uh, talk about the IRS a little bit, a little bit more here. Are there any um, certain targeted industries or types of nonprofits are currently kind of reviewing or auditing? I, I know uh, a long time ago in my career, um, kind of around the mortgage uh, crisis time, they're they're kind of going after like consumer credit um, kind of uh, types of <laughs> types of entities. Are there any that are kind of uh, active on the IRS radar right now? Uh, I don't think any sort of specific industry that I know of. Um, like I know when you file certain schedules, um, maybe that could you know cause some some additional look from the IRS. But I can't think of anything that they're spe- specifically going after currently right now. Yeah. So, well, another another complex area, Ryan. I know we deal with it quite a bit, especially with our um, uh, membership or organization, our C six practices, lobbying, um, and certainly some of that's also done on the C three level as well. But can you talk a little bit about, about, about lobbying and how that process works and, um, you know, tracking that for um, end disclosure for the Form 990? Yeah, so lobbying is um, something that's allowed within uh, 501c6 organizations, um, and they can also, 501c6 organizations can do a limited amount of political activity as well. Um, that's, you're really going to want to reach out to us before you get any involved in, in, in any of that sort of area, though, too, because there are some separate filings involved there. But, um yeah, you, you want to really track um, lobbying separately. 501c3s especially, they can, within reason, um, you know, do some lobbying. Uh, there's some additional schedules that are involved with, with the actual 990 itself when that happens. And and if you do too much, you can lose, you know, your tax-exempt tax status with that. So um, definitely something to, to, to be tracking. Um, and if you're involved in that sort of thing at all, really probably best practice to, to have a CPA involved to, to kind of talk you through some of that initially, even before you start. Um, and then as you're going along too, just to make sure you're not getting getting too far into it and, and causing some problems with that. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's an every year thing because sometimes your, your activity might be of such where it might be, you know, a de minimis or in terms of some of the reporting you might have to do, but you really have to watch those federal and state filings related to, you know, legislative activity or lobbying. Cause if you're not careful, you can get in a lot of trouble. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely some different levels. Of, yeah. You're talking about, if you're talking about state level, federal level, um, you talk more about election committees and FEC, all that. There's other filings involved for sure once once you get into that area. How about uh, any horror stories or any just fun things you've really seen? Uh, you know, that an organization has talked about its accomplishments or just, uh, you know, oh, any things that have just cracked you up, you know, when you've reviewed a 990 or have you seen what was provided? Oh, man, I don't know if I can think of anything crazy. I, I know I've seen it before. I've probably seen everything, but, um, man, I don't. I guess I don't know if anything specifically that's thrown me off when, when just like just looking at returns, just, I oftentimes look at new clients that come in and I wonder how the IRS hasn't reached out to them in the past, you know, like because it was filed so crazily, but... Um, so it, it, that I do enjoy getting clients back on track, you know, back on, um, back in good light with the IRS, I guess you can say we, we, there's clients that, um, you know, haven't filed in years because for whatever reason, um, but it's nice to, you know, get them back in track, get them back into compliance and then, you know, getting that letter from the IRS that says, Hey, we accepted your return or, Hey, we have abated the penalty from your lack of filing for three years or whatever. So you have any uh, clients, you know, on page two where they describe the programming and they give you like a, a line or two to <laughs> to start it, right? Which mostly overflows then to schedule O. 
And uh, have you had any clients that have written so much that you're like, hold on a second here, <laughs> like we can't include all that? Or actually, I would I would rather have them write more than less. So okay. our our software lets us write as much as we want in there within reason. Actually, I think there is some limits, but I don't think I've run into those limits before. But so I'd almost rather have that than. I have a few clients that are that will just write, you know, small amounts. So I really would rather have them write a little bit more just to really explain to the public, you know, what exactly they do. That's what did yeah. you do? What did you accomplish? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. You really Why should want to you continue to donate. Exactly. You'd want to really expand in that area to um, really show exactly what you've done. So really, actually, more is probably better than less in that area. Well, it is a place where the organization can tell its story. And that's, you know, we're talking about the guide star earlier is that that is a, that is a way for the organization to kind of get what, you know, their mission across, what they're doing. Yep. Um, so it, it is, you know, a good organization filling that out properly recognizes that, that that may help them in fundraising down the road. Yep. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how many people like geek out and look at all the 990s and stuff. Like, I, I mean, I like to look at GuideStar and, you know, there's an organization to look to see what they're doing and stuff too. Um, but it, it's out there. So you might as well, you know, complete it the way you want to complete it that you'd want people to see. So since it is available. And when you're trying to save the earth like I am, I'm looking that stuff up. I'm finding out the, the, the good ones and the ones that aren't so good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Hey, Daniel, you just mentioned fundraiser and earth. And so I got a great dad joke for this. You want to hear it? Finally. <laughs> How do you organize a fundraiser for the earth? I have no idea. How do you, Adam? You plan it. Sweet. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> On the topic of fundraising, though, so <laughs> Schedule A is is a schedule that kind of helps decide, are you, have you been a charitable writer or have you broken that? 501c3 charitable giving status. Can, yes. you, can you go into the Schedule A a little bit and maybe even talk about how organizations could potentially stray away from, you know, the requirement that's looked at for maintaining that charitable status? Yep. So for uh, 501c3 organizations or charitable organizations, they're all required to file Schedule A, um, which is the public support test. Um, it's a pain calculation. Uh, we talk about errors. Um, this would be the one error area where there's going to be multiple errors. Um, and it's hard to identify if, if they're even filing it correctly without all the details. But um, so basically, the, the Schedule A does um, have a test each year. <clears throat> it's really a five year rolling calculation to, to tell the IRS are you really maintaining public support? And by public support, we're just saying, are you taking in donations? Are you running programs from a wide variety of the public rather than being funded by just one family or, or as you would see, like in a private foundation? But um, yeah, I'm not sure how much detail we want to go into some of the calculations. But really, if you start taking in too many donations from a single donor, um, then you're probably going to start running into problems. You're going to steal um, those, those donations get backed out as um, excess donors. You can you can call them and you'd fall b below the public support test. And and ultimately, you don't lose your public um, tax exempt status. You just end up having to file a private foundation tax return, which is uh, we don't want to deal with that if, if you're a public charity. But um, but yeah. Yeah, so Schedule A is it's a really complicated schedule, and, and if if you do have any sort of um, multiple re revenue streams from programs, donors, and you're getting um, donations from from only specific large donations, that might be something an area to reach out to a CPA on to, for sure because. Th 
if you don't pass one area, they may be able to, to help you um, consult you to get into another area of the public support test to maintain that, that 990 501c3 status with the public too. So again, very complicated area, um, an area that actually I just recently did some more continuing education on and realized it's even more more intense than I was thinking too, like some of the, the way to, to complete some of those schedules too. So It's it's a big part of the, the 990, and if you file a 990Z, it, it takes up, I think, most of the return. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. There's the, more pages related to that yeah. schedule than there is the rest of the 990, I think. Yes, that schedule is, is a beast, and it's even for like a 990Z, they still need to file it if they're a 501c3 to, to qualify as a as a public support supported charity. So, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy schedule, but yeah. So my life is consumed by youth sports because I have mm-hmm. boys in the active age of sports, right? And so myself and I could see a lot of other maybe business owners and parents uh, getting involved in these youth organizations. And, you know, a lot of those organizations file this postcard filing, right? Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit to the postcard filing and what um, what triggers that and, and things you maybe have to be aware of? Because there are two, you know, it, it follows kind of a three-year uh, monitoring period right before you maybe have to step it up to the next level of, of nonprofit filings, so to speak. So maybe for those that are involved in those organizations, I know I've had a lot of inquiries um, from other people involved in their youth sports organization saying, well, you know, what kind of form do we have to file? And, you know, what happens if we raise too much money, you know, and they get a little bit nervous if they break that threshold. So can you maybe kind of sure. do a broad stroke over that? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, overall 990N uh, postcard return, um, there's a $50,000 gross receipts threshold. So um, that that's a big n- gross receipts is kind of what we have to focus on. It's not not net after expenses and everything. So really, if, if you raise $50,000 or more, um, then you're going to be not allowed to file that 990N. But anything below that, um, um, you're, you're going to be in that area where you can file. Um, a lot of times charitable organizations, though, are still also registered with Minnesota. So they may, and they may have some additional filings there, too. Um, and we talked about Schedule A. Technically, actually, a, a 501c3, even if they file a 990N, are, are supposed to be mon- monitoring that public support to make sure they still qualify there as well. But, um, but yeah, yeah, so generally $50,000 or less um, during the year. And and you mentioned the three years. So the, the three years is, is important. Um, anything, if you don't file within three years, the IRS will uh, revoke the tax-exempt status, and then you're no longer considered a you know, tax-exempt entity, entity with the IRS. Um, but ho- however, they do still want you to do a yearly filing. So every May 15th for a calendar year, um, you should be submitting that form if you do qualify for it. So, And that, you know, it's really an easy form to file too. Yes. I, you know, it's, yeah. I think it's got a couple of questions on there and basically updated contact information and yep. you can do it all online. Yep. You know, volunteers, if you're the board treasurer, you, it, it's pretty simple to do. So yep. I, I know when I ran that role for the organization that required that filing, we put a, a calendar reminder. I think it was like every March just to go out and file that. And it took exactly. all of five minutes. Yep. It is. It is pretty easy to file. The The hardest thing now is the IRS has changed their, their website and login. So they have a whole new login that you have to use and it's a little more intense, which, which is good. It, it, it's a little more secure and all that kind of stuff too, but that's the biggest pain you're going to see. Um, actually here within the last few months, they changed that going forward. So. Well, Ryan, I think we're running near the end of our time slot today. Uh, just want to ask you one last question is, um, what is filling your cup these days? <laughs> if you're talking about coffee, uh, I just like it. Plain old black coffee is fine with me. Um, 
that's that's me. Kind of kind of boring, I guess, but that's what I do. How about your uh, summer cup with kids? What, what, what's all on tap this summer? <laughs> Actually, it's probably mostly just bubbly water, like <laughs> Lacroix, all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of boring that way. I'll, you know, if, if I really go out on a limb, it's going to be the caffeinated bu- bubbly water. Then you mean like the green juice I got in front of me? This yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, not that kind of bubbly water. Just the actual bubbly water. Oh, yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for your time today. We we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Check out all of our podcast episodes on the Q&A over coffee page on the Olson Thielen website. This is also a place where you can sign up to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.